the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me tell you, we are heading into another uh, season of chaos uh, efforts to sow chaos. We're going to talk about that in a moment. This time it's aimed at the U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court, uh, I'm sure it's funded by the same people that funded Black Lives Matter and other grassroots, so-called grassroots efforts to disrupt America. We'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to replay an interview from earlier this week with Dean Reuter about the last Nazi. Since we did that interview on, I think, Monday, I don't know when I interviewed him, Monday, it was amazing. They were talking about the last Nazi, how they tracked down that there was a Nazi who was given refuge, it looks like, somewhere in the West because of the things he knew uh, about the the uh, weapon systems. Well, in the last two days, I don't know if you saw this, there was a 96-year-old secretary, a woman who had been at one of the death camps, and she was being tried, 96 years old, tried in Germany, and she went on the lam, tried to run away. She got caught again, but um, so it was in the news. So we'll play that interview. We'll also get an interview with John Mills, retired Colonel John Mills. We'll talk about election integrity. He's one of the... I don't know if he's one of the smartest, but he's one of the savviest. He knows how people work. So he's working to build an effort to help people check on the election. So we'll check in with him. But first, what do you need to know? What you need to know today, what you need to know today is the Supreme Court is the next target. I was walking across Washington, D.C., near the Capitol, went across the front of the Supreme Court, and there was another protest in front of the Supreme Court, a bunch of women protesting about abortion rights. And here's what I want to talk about. Have you noticed after they tried to destroy John, uh, to destroy uh, Justice Kavanaugh, uh, they've also still followed him. Uh, he hasn't. He he was tested positive for COVID. Uh, he was vaccinated, vaccinated already, but he tested positive for COVID. Has no symptoms, but they're just glee, uh, gleeful in the press covering it. Justice Alito gave an interview. Now, I happen to think with Justice Scalia gone, passed away, Justice Alito and Justice Thomas are my two favorite. They seem like the most interesting, or um, that's wrong. They're all interesting, I suppose. They seem like the two that have a life trajectory that I recognize the most. Meaning, I just, I know what Clarence Thomas went to the same college I did. Um, obviously, he's older than I am, but I, you know, I have some sort of understanding of where he came from. Justice Alito, he just, he comes, a big baseball fan and a, a big Catholic. I don't know, I just relate to them. Justice Alito gave a speech and he said, and I'll put this up on social media. He said, basically, they're starting to target the Supreme Court to intimidate people, and we cannot be intimidated. He went on to talk. He was talking, he was talking much more, uh, I don't know, professionally than I am. But here's what I can tell you is happening. The, the, the targets in the, 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 what the, what the left is doing and what the ruling class is doing and what the narrative machine is doing. That's the best, that's the most important thing to say about this. The narrative machine 
which of course targets uh, targets people, targets issues, and then overrides those issues with the use of the uh, of the narrative machine, big government, big tech, and big media. And so, what in this case, what Alito specifically spoke about was he said that when there was reports that the Supreme Court nullified Roe v. Wade. Because of the Texas abortion decision, he said, this is an effort to intimidate the Supreme Court. He said, this is the media's effort to intimidate the Supreme Court. And I think that's really important because here's what's going on. The, the left and the, and the ruling party and the narrative machine, they know how to intimidate the legislators. Just watch what happens. When the left gets in power, the Democrats get in power, they do stuff. When the Republicans get in power, the narrative machine, kick, machine kicks into overdrive and you end up with Republicans doing not conservative things. Spending more, not, not defunding Planned Parenthood, not you know, protecting life. And so the narrative machine already knows how to impact the legislature. The narrative machine knows how to impact presidential elections. They just got away with it. What they haven't successfully done is turn the narrative machine on the Supreme Court. And the effort is underway to make the Supreme Court not only seem illegitimate, but to make the participants, the uh, the justices, become uh, become caricatures and and become caricatured in the press so you use words like nullifying and you 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 ramp up the controversy now some of this is done for politics the democrats think they can win on this issue on abortion but a lot of it's done to intimidate the uh the institution to intimidate the people in the institution because here's a secret justice kavanaugh justice sotomayor any of them they're human beings and it's not that they're, they're not politicians in the formal sense of the word, but they're political players in a very specific way. They're very successful at it. In order to be on the Supreme Court, you have to have three characteristics that are, and you rarely get there without all three. One is being really smart, being a really smart lawyer type. Two is sur- sur- surviving the small p political uh, minefields of of being a successful person whether it's in public life private life you can't put yourself in a position where you're outside of the sort of mainstream you got to be conservative enough but not too conservative sounding you got to be liberal enough but not too liberal and then the third one is you have to be connected you have to cultivate the connections get lucky sometimes you know uh uh Kavanaugh was working in the white house for George W Bush that helped him a lot uh, so, um Kagan was in uh, Harvard uh, as a professor and got connected to Obama and others. You get the point. But the fact is this, the un, the, the narrative machine is turning on the Supreme Court precisely because why? Very important. The Supreme Court and the courts have in the last 30 or 40 years done most of the dramatic shifting of American policy, abortion on demand, uh, marriage, the gutting of marriage, the definition of marriage, and on and on. Those are big social issues. On and on and on in all the in all the other settings, in business settings and otherwise. Uh, in 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 uh, gender, the definition of gender, the definition of uh, of uh, of of sex, all these different ways. So the left used the courts. Now they've got to freeze the courts. They use the courts. They can't let it whip back. And you're going to see that. So check out that piece by uh, check out the the uh, uh, description of the speech that Justice Alito gave. I think it will shed some light on important light uh, at that. So and that's what you need to know. The narrative machine is turning 
turning on the Supreme Court, in part in anticipation of abortion rulings, but also just because they've got to destabilize that. If you look at polling, the, the, the courts are still considered uh, sort of, st- they have some negatives, but they're considered pretty reliable by Americans. Pretty reliable, all told. All right, we got to take a break. We come back, we'll get this interview with Dean Reuter, replay, and then we will talk with Colonel John Mills, retired, about his effort to fight for election integrity and uh, what's happening across the country on that front. So tune back in. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. That's what you need to know. I'll be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to talking with our next guest, Dean Reuter. He's the general counsel of the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy, also is a fellow over at George Mason, and uh, he's an editor of books and things. His co-authors, I should mention them because they play a big role in this book, are Colm Lowry, who's from uh, Northern Ireland. He's a lecturer, and also Keith Chester, an investigative researcher and an author. And so the book is called The Hidden Nazi. It's published by Regnery uh, History, which is one of Regnery's uh, imprints, and the untold story of America's deal with the devil. Uh, Dean, welcome to the program. It's an extraordinary book. It's great to talk to you. It's good to be on with you, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. And I'll cut to my my listeners know I love to do this, Dean. I'll cut to the back and then come back to the front. But I, I read the first chapter, the last chapter, and then I go back and through the middle. I get to the end of the book, Dean, and we'll set it up. Basically, one of the worst dudes in the whole Nazi regime, uh, his name is Dean Kamler. And or might be I might be mispronouncing that Kamler, but he he um, he sort of uh, his name is ha- sorry Hans Kamler, and he disappears. Uh, he's a general after the war, and you and your colleagues trace this, and you sort of it's like a whodunit all the way through twists and turns, documents. But I get to the end of the book, and and the the we don't know the answer. It, it looks like he cut a deal. Uh, as a bad Nazi killer, like a horrendous, you know, a, a genocidal maniac, he cut a deal and disappears. Uh, but, Dean, we don't know where he disappeared to. Did he come to America? Did he disappear in Europe? Is he in Argentina? Do you, do you, I mean, can we answer that? We can't answer that with certitude, uh, Ed, which is one of the frustrating things about this book. But we decided, you know, we've got enough information to publish here. We know, I mean, we've revealed some startling things. You know, conventional history really, really doesn't pay attention to Hans Kammler because he committed suicide at the end of the war in May 1945. Just as the war ended, he commits suicide. The German court validates that finding. But my researchers noticed uh, that, I mean, he was not only a high-ranking guy, the rank of, a, uh, the equivalent rank of General George Patton, so um, really high-ranking, all-powerful Nazi general, uh, there was never a body produced, no uh, sidearm or dog tags, uh, no paperwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just an adjudication of his death. And um, that didn't sit well with these researchers. And what we reveal in the book is he didn't die at the end of the war. He actually did a deal. I think we proved pretty well that he did a deal with the U.S. Army to try and erase his past, uh, and we made a deal with him in order, honestly, to get the German rocket team. Werner von Braun and that rocket team fell into our hands, not uh, out of some stroke of luck, but because we did a deal with Hans Kampler, the hidden us. Well, and when, and and again, we're talking with uh, Dean Reuter, and his his book is called "The Hidden Nazi," available wherever books are sold. Regnery uh, publishes it. Um, 
Uh, but Dean, um, when you read this, it's some details are stri- I'm really striking. One is he's a senior, senior guy designing Auschwitz and and design, you know, carrying out the plans to exterminate millions of people. He's not a military man. He's an architect, I think, or I think an account yeah. engineer, and and, and he gets promoted up senior, through. Yes. Yeah, and ends up not only in charge of the physical design and implementation of Auschwitz and others, but as you point out, he also is so senior, he's in charge of supervising the, I guess, what do you call it, the secret weapon division? Like, uh, they were rockets as well as probably trying to get to nuclear weapons, right? That's exactly right. They had rockets that were very far advanced, much farther advanced than anybody uh, in the Allies, the Western Allies, or even Russia. And everybody knew as the war was ending, Germany was going to lose, and there would be this mad scramble uh, for that secret technology. And whoever came out of it uh, would have a 10 years head start on the Cold War. That's why we made the deal with the hidden Nazi, with Hans Kammler. Uh, But he ended up in charge of that, uh, not just the rockets, but as you suggest, nuclear research. And we show in our book that they made probably more uh, advances in nuclear research than anybody thought. They certainly had more research sites than anybody's been able to document before the hidden Nazi. Um, But it's just a remarkable story. I mean, I I would not have believed it to be true if I hadn't participated in the discovery of it. (laughs) Well, you do. A good, I have to say, you do a good job of that. You, as the narrator, you kind of you leave. You leave as the reader. I was thinking like you were. I was like, you know, at one point you're describing like you're looking out the window of your home office and you go for a run and you're thinking, is this all coming together? And you're like, wait, one more detail. But I want to go back for a second. Again, we're talking with Dean Reuter. The book is the Hidden Nazi. Um, at the very beginning, you talk about traveling to Germany to interview uh, Hans Kammler's son, who is, I think, I, I assumed, I don't remember if he was elderly, but he was certainly infirm. And you're interviewing him, and you're sort of, it's enough of a human portrayal that you, you the reader, I think, or at least I did, I thought, how did this guy, this Hans Kammler, become such a maniac and you know that's kind of like um that that question right is how do people that get born and raised end up like being so doing such evil things i don't know if i get what do you think by the end of all this research it's a great question and we do try and delve into the human aspects of this it's it's really hard to to figure out how somebody can go so far off the rails, and even more to the point, maybe how an entire culture, uh, Germany, right. one of the one of the most advanced cultures, not just at the time, but in the history of humankind, uh, you know, produced right. such great science and music and culture, and then ended up killing six million Jews um, out of malice. And this was not just a handful of people participating in this. This was a a nationwide endeavor that involved a lot more people than than sometimes we're led to believe. But one one critical aspect of Hans Kammler that I just can't get over, which really shows he does have no redeeming characters, is characteristics, is that he lost a daughter as an infant in an accident when a nurse uh, yeah. left a bottle of chloroform open near his daughter. So his own daughter is gassed to death, ironically, and yet he goes on without any um, you know, indication of remorse or any hesitation. There's no pause button. He designs the gas chambers and the ovens, and he just figuratively pushes people into those gas chambers, men, women, and children. Well, 
Well, and and I, again, I'm I'm God knows I'm not defending him, but you go armchair a quarterback or, or armchair psychiatrist, and I don't know maybe that maybe he lost. I think I think you remember. I think I remember he lost two children in their in in their infancy. Yeah. So maybe somehow he snaps. You know, we tend to think of at least I do stereotypically think like you know the mother of a child like that snaps and is never never recovers is institutionalized. I don't know. It's a uh, oh, again uh, Dean Reuter. The book is the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. As you read this, as I read this, Dean, I was reminded of some of the other sort of deals there were, and then some of the ones that escaped, like Barbie, uh, that was a famous Nazi who escaped, or got got some kind of, got out, uh, either got got a deal or got out, uh, referenced a few others. What's your thought now that you've done all this research about the number of Nazis who got a deal. I mean, you, you trace through there, and it's the names that we all I mean, all know that read this. A Wild Bill Donovan and Dulles and the OSS before it becomes a CIA. You know, nowadays, if you said the CIA did lots of deals, I don't think a lot of the public would particularly be surprised, right? They'd say, oh, the CIA. I mean, who knows what they do? I mean, maybe, maybe good or bad. But what's your sense of how many deals Nazis got? And, and this may have been the most dramatic guy, but there were some other real bad dudes that seemed to have gotten deals too, right? There there were plenty of folks. I mean, I'd say in the hundreds in terms of deals. And I mean, just for example, we brought 200 Nazi rocket scientists to the United States. A lot of these deals uh, wound up with uh, Nazis being imported into the United States and their records cleansed along the way so they could get a fresh start. Uh, it was a calculation mm-hmm. we made, the United States made, that we these people were more valuable than they were dirty. They were uh, more used to us alive than they were dead as examples. Um, it's it's tough Ed, to, to second guess those decisions when they were made on the ground. But one thing I did discover is there were two groups of Americans uh, or Western allies, really, even in Europe after the war. There was one group that was assigned to capture and punish Nazi war criminals. And there was another group that was uh, assigned to capture and export Nazi talent um, and and scientists yeah. and engineers. Um, and there was a, then a smaller third group that was recruiting Nazis on the continent to act as intelligence assets against the Soviet Union. The Nazis had just been fighting the Soviet Union for four years. Uh, we were about to engage in a Cold War, and we used them as, as intelligence assets, including Klaus Barbie. Uh, who you mentioned, so, who was so prominent, and then with our help, I mean, this is a well-documented case, with our help, he got off the continent and made it to South America, uh, and the papers, um, the paperwork for Klaus Barbie uh, contained a lot of the same information, a lot of the same signatures as the paperwork we discovered for Hans Kammler, which is why we conclude uh, uh, that he went yeah. to South America. And and but again, uh, uh, Barbie was when it was found. They found. Well, I think did they find him or did he pass? Had he passed away by then? I mean, it, it no, isn't a ch- is there a ch- is there a chance? Huh? They found they found, they found Klaus him. Barbie. They found Klaus Barbie and, and and extradited him to France in the 1980s. He was tried and convicted. Spent a short time in prison before he died. Um, Eichmann was oh. found by the by the Israelis. Uh, Mengele is the most prominent Nazi who wasn't found uh, and and whose bones were found after he died. Do you think that is there any chance that Kamler's alive? No. No. I mean, by now he'd be he'd be one hundred and twenty one hundred twenty one years old. Oh, oh, oh. Um, right, right. Okay. So, um, and, and and any evidence that um uh, that you've uh, any any even inkling that he of somebody that could have been him that's out there that you that somebody tracked down? 
in Argentina? No, or and that's that's a, that's that's another good question, Ed. And there is no inkling of that. We because nobody was searching for him I mean, until really you know we started this research because we we sort of stumbled on this guy as a prominent Nazi who was all powerful and all evil who'd never been written about, and then we started doing the right. research. And uh, in our research, we contacted the Mossad, we contacted the U.S. Office of Special Investigation. Those are our Nazi hunters. We contacted the Wiesenthal right. Center, and every one of them to this day said no. We never, we never looked for Kamler. He was dead, um, so he yeah. went unnoticed, and nobody. No, there were no sightings. There were no, at least not that we've discovered. Now there are right. documents that exist to this day in in U.S. archives and other archives that that won't be shown to us. We can't get access to them. Oh, oh, and, because they're classified and, and or. Yeah, they're classified, but two of them in particular, one was produced in 1969, one was produced in 1987 about Hans Kammler. And you've got to think, 40 years after the war, uh, what documents are being produced by a guy who died 40 years ago? And these two documents run over 100 pages. Hmm. That might the one in the eighties. It's easy to speculate. It's a closing, close the file, right? He died finally, and someone you know put hey, he's gone, and they they put where he was buried or something. Uh, um, uh, uh, Dean Reuter, I'm going to run out of time. And again, the book is uh, the Hidden Nazi: The Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. I want to ask one more question. The, you mentioned the American Nazi hunters in the Department of Justice. We have an office that has done this for years. It still exists, I I, I believe, because yes. there's still some chance that you have a 15 or 20 year old that could have been uh, assisting in the. Nazis, I think, right? Is it? Is there any? Um, what do they do? I mean, or is it closing down? Or what's that? What is that? What's the status of that? I don't think most Americans realize that. It still exists, and as recently as a year ago, there was a, a trial in Germany of a Nazi war criminal, a, a, a camp guard. And the irony there, Ed, uh, not amusing, but it's ironic that uh, this young man, when he participated, was a, a youth. So at the age of 90-something now, he was on trial in Germany in juvenile court because his offenses were committed when he was a juvenile. Uh, so that office still huh. exists. It's, it's still doing its work. Um, it's still unearthing and documenting uh, some things. There, hmm. there just aren't a lot of uh, Nazi camp guards left. A lot of things left, yeah. Well, it's a very interesting uh, uh, book, and I congratulate you, Dean. And, you're, and you're, you, you even, as a writer, you even give your uh, co-authors great color, their characters in the, in the thing. So uh, congratulate that again. It's a, the Hidden Nazi, the Untold Story of America's Deal with the Devil. Uh, Dean Reuter, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks again for having me, and thanks for your time, Ed. Okay. We'll take a break, everybody, and I'll put it up on social media, and I'll, I'll do some more uh, uh, reading on it, uh, uh, some things around it. Make sure to, to put the word out there. People, my listeners will like it. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. I have been learning from a new friend of mine in the last six months or so, a retired Colonel John Mills, who is the head of the National Election Integrity Association. It's a Virginia nonprofit uh, that is out uh, figuring out how citizens can make sure the elections are working right. It's, this isn't about overturning anybody's election. It's not about uh, fighting with this party or that party. It's, hey, how do we get citizens to get engaged and figure out what they can do? And so he has a project. It's called uh, the project. He, Nick, he names it uh, FS2, FS2, FOIA File, Sue, and Settle. Now, that sounds a little bit... Uh, uh, it may sound a little daunting because FOIA, okay, get that, file, oh, sue and settle. But the point is, 
knowing how to engage the election authorities to see what's really going on. So, John Mills, welcome back to the program. How are you, sir? Hi, Ed. Uh, thank you so much. Always an honor to be with you here. So first thing I want to ask you is, what is the appetite for um, for what you're talking about? Meaning, we've heard a lot about now Afghanistan. We're watching the federal government do, uh, Congress do stupid stuff. But it feels like the grassroots doesn't believe the elections have been done right. And so are you, is that, is that waxing or waning? Are people getting more worried, less worried? What's the response right now to the question of elections? Uh, great question, Ed. I would say uh, if you were watching legacy media, uh, it, it would almost appear as if uh, any concern over the election and election integrity in America is uh, not an issue. And I would say stop watching uh, legacy media, start watching <laughs> new media right. like uh, the Ed, Ed Martin show and all other forms of media, but uh, new media. Uh, but it is uh, the thirst is unquenchable. The energy and excitement is growing across the nation. And there is unstoppable momentum in this direction. Uh, the release of the Arizona findings uh, were incredible. Now, some, again, in, in legacy media poo-pooed if they mentioned it at all and said, oh, well, Biden still won. Well, yeah, that's if you included uh, the uh, he won by 10,000 overall in Arizona. Uh, if you included uh, the 70,000 plus votes just in Maricopa that should be thrown out, if you included those fraudulent votes, and just like uh, uh, it was uh, uh, Sonny Borelli who said, if you have a if you have a thousand dollars and two hundred and fifty of them are found to be uh, fraudulent or or not good dollars, you really only have seven hundred and fifty. And so, hmm. if you throw out those bad votes, uh, just in Maricopa, uh, Trump won significantly. So the there is definite energy in Arizona. It is unstoppable in in Georgia, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, Michigan. And in other places, I'm, I'm, and, and with our, our, our small little NEIA group, we're now, we have multiple clients uh, at, uh, in a number of counties uh, and at the state level too, although we really prefer coaching and mentoring at the county level, we have three entire states that have, have that have brought us on. Uh, there are clients for us to coach and mentor them for the entire state. Uh, and the the grassroots energy on this is just uh, is 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 off the scale uh, because the more you know, we I just released a a peak of some of our interim findings um, uh, I could go over that uh, but it's uh, the energy is there no question about it. And let me let me mention and uh, remind our our listeners uh, if they want to go uh, find out more about that uh, about the effort, you can go right to the website and I'll get it right because I, I wrote it down. It's n e n e i a dot u s n e i a dot u s, which of course stands for the National Election Integrity Association. If you do a search for National Election Integrity Association, John Mills, it'll come up uh, pretty quick. And there's a bunch of interviews you've been doing. Okay. Um, now, how I, and I have, I've told you this, we've known each other now a while and talking about this. When you talk about your project, the FOIA file, sue and settle, 
If you say to a normal person, there's a bunch of steps like this, you run the risk of them getting nervous, like there's a lot to do. How are you finding, you, when you, and I should say on the website, there's very good videos that simplify it, or, and they don't simplify it, they describe it and show how simple this is. It's not, it's, it's really the steps are what's key because each step builds the relationship and the credibility as you're talking to the election authority. How, but how are people reacting to it? Are, you, are people getting the sense of it? Are, you, uh, are, are the election authorities uh, amenable so that you can, because the goal here is to get access to be able to see what's gone on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with every group, uh, and, and, and because of my military background and my experiencing in organizing, training, equipping foreign national forces, it's a very similar model. We are here to coach and mentor. There's lots of people running around shouting election integrity, uh, uh, right. really fundraising. Um, but we're actually, we're serious. We're actually serious about helping. And in every situation, we have really upped the game of every group that we have participated in. They just, citizens are, are motivated. They're upset. They want to get involved. And we're, we can help them coach and mentor them. Oftentimes, they've done incredible work already. And oftentimes, they're standing right next to the lever or button, and they need to push, and they don't even realize it. And that's our job. That's what we're doing is coaching and mentoring them. So we are really upping their game and uh, to, the, to the next level. Uh, there is uh, – citizens – the government works, I mean, our government works best when citizens are involved. And so we do have to get involved. And a lot of us worry and spend all this time fretting, and the Bible says fretting is sin, fretting about the national picture. Don't worry about the national picture. Take care of your county, and the national picture will take care of itself. You do have to do some work. You do have to get involved. That does deter maybe some, some but most realize it's it's our responsibility as citizens to be involved. Uh, the price of, of, of freedom is, and, and liberty is not just our incredible military overseas. The price of liberty is every single American citizen apportioning time to get involved at the county level, at the school board, on the election board. This is why we're seeing, I mean, and, you know, right here in Virginia, you know, we've got, we got some hotbeds like uh, at the school board in Loudoun County. Uh, but, but across the nation, people realize, and they are hopping mad. And just by paying attention, if there is malfeasance at the county level on an election board or with election registrars, just the mere fact that citizens are paying attention, that has a lot to do. People operate a lot differently. Officials, public and appoint, uh, elected and appointed, operate a lot differently when they realize citizens are watching them and checking their homework. Again, we're talking with John Mills, and he is the uh, the founder and the and the leader of uh, the effort to get to election integrity. I want I want to ask you, and, and the website again is neia.us. Tell me about Virginia. It's your home state, or it's your state here now for these last years. I don't know if it's your your native state, but what Virginia's got an election in the fall. Uh, people are paying attention a little bit more than they have in other places. Are you having? What's your feeling on the election integrity this fall in Virginia? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're when wearing the NEIA hat, we're nonprofit, nonpartisan. Uh, uh, we we don't have a dog in the fight, but we we're we're very involved. And just uh, with some discussions today, 
because I was receiving uh, uh, just my network of, of, of contacts was giving me some very interesting feedback on peculiarities on certain counties. And so I was able to aggregate some data and uh, inform uh, certain groups. And so it looks like action is being taken. Uh, I hope that we have a, a, a absolutely as fair as possible uh, election in, in Virginia. I do not want a repeat of what just happened in California where the fraud was so bad. I mean, they just turned the dial a common finding across the nation, and I think it's a truism in Virginia, is, is the, the tactic, technique, and procedure of uh, uh, it's called ghost voting. And we're finding out more and more that's the core issue from the 20 election was ghost voting. This is where election registrars, nefarious folks at the county levels, because those election of uh, voting registries are really run by law at the county level. Uh, they will flip inactive voters to active vote them and disappear. And you only will catch that if you cr cross, if you cross tabulate and cross reference what are called ballot cast lists with the election mm -hmm. registry. Nobody, nobody spends time doing that. And that's why right. people have been able to get, get away with that. But we've been finding it's really the ghost voter, but really quickly, some other things we've been finding. I mean, yeah. we bottom line in Virginia, we hope it is a fair, free and fair, and we don't see a repeat of California. I am concerned, uh, though, because of this ghost voting. But in fact, uh, data points so far with all of our yeah. across the Tell nation, me. including Virginia. Yeah. But 100% uh, consistent data point. The point of issue is has been 100% consistent. It is with your county election registrar or equivalent. Every county, even in Virginia, kind of calls them by a different title. Every single uh -huh. group, the point of issue is with their election registrar. So that's a pretty consistent finding. 100% across the, across the nation is always that. Okay, next is a very high percentage of citizen groups. Uh, find that their efforts are hampered equally by both parties. I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail huh. by that, but right. they, get just, they get just as much pushback from one side as they do from the other side. That's very interesting. Um, huh. here's, an, here's another one, and, and I'm not being political about this, um, but I think, it's, I think it's relevant, is that... Um, a very high percentage of these citizen groups find that Republican Party entities at the, at the county or county equivalent level oftentimes right. defend, defend the, and, uh, their Democrat or uh, uh, election registrar or equivalent instead of holding them accountable. So why is that? Why, why, why is that? What's your instinct on why that is, John? I have a theory, but what's your instinct? I think it's a laziness. It's an intellectual laziness on the member on the part of Republican Party uh, at the county or county equivalents. They think that by being, let's just simplify this, by being buddy buddy with that registrar, they will somehow advance the issue. Uh, and I absolutely disagree. And and then our and again, our data is not is, is also fi finding that and disproving that. 
these these election registrars are not your friends. They're not your enemies. Work with them in a civil manner, but they are elected or appointed officials to be held accountable. Yet, for some reason, very high percentage of Republican Party elements at the county or county equivalent level seem to think these Democrat registrars are their friends. This doesn't make any sense. No, and, it doesn't. Uh, and it doesn't. Yeah, yeah it, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, unfor- uh, John, finish if Go ahead and finish up. Okay. Sorry, please. Yeah, just one real quick uh, other finding is a very high percentage of election boards at the county or county equivalent, regardless of who has the majority, routinely surrender their uh, their lawful authority under state laws to the election registrars. And oftentimes huh. election boards don't even realize things the registrar doing are rightfully by state law, the responsibility of the election board. It's crazy. So oftentimes election huh. boards don't even realize what their authorities are, but I'll leave it at that. All right. Hey, John Mills, I'm sorry. I got to run, though. The, and the organization is the National Election Integrity Association, NEIA.us. If you go there, you'll learn a lot. You might also realize when you watch the movie that the FOIA files sue and settle John's plan that they've developed on how to engage and succeed to not just yell at the machine or yell at the sky, but to engage and succeed. It's really, really interesting. I think it's going to be more and more effective. So thank you, John, for the time again, NEIA.us. And thank you so much. Always an honor to be with you. Great to be with you. All right, everybody, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Thunderous applause greeted a gubernatorial candidate who stole the show during the warm-up at a recent Trump rally in Phoenix, Arizona. Carrie Lake, a 51-year-old former television newscaster, addressed how she would handle the mask mandates if she were elected governor. She proclaimed, As governor, I will pardon every person and business owner who's charged for violating a mask mandate or refusing to shut down their business, because we know that breathing and earning a living are not a crime. Carrie Lake represents a new breed of charismatic pro-Trump candidates, one of whom could become his running mate in 2024. This growing list includes Larry Elder in California, Alan West in Texas, and Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia, who shocked the establishment by raising more from small donors earlier this year than anyone else in Congress. Carrie Lake may ride her criticism of face masks all the way to the Arizona governor's mansion, and she leads her rival Republicans in favorability ratings already. She's far from alone in opposing the tyranny of mandatory face coverings, particularly as imposed on schoolchildren. Yet, liberals are not too keen on the idea of giving up their stranglehold on power. Democrat Trump haters voted against the Trump-endorsed candidate in the recent special election in Texas, probably changing the outcome. Democrats failed to qualify for the runoff election, forcing them to choose between the Trump-endorsed Susan Wright and her Republican opponent, Jake Elzey. Typically, Democrats who feel compelled to vote without a candidate on the ballot for their side would cast a blank ballot. But very few of them did that. Instead, Elsie overtook Wright's lead due to the vindictive support by Democratic Trump haters. Though the battle to save America wages on, conservatives should be encouraged by the rise of new champions like Lake, Elder, and Green. Still, there's always room for another warrior on the front lines. As our nation's political landscape changes drastically and every day, will you take your place among those that fight for future generations? 
You may consider yourself to be too old, too young, too busy, or too introverted to make a difference. But every voice has value in America, especially today. Make sure your voice is heard. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Got to wrap things up. Hope you have a great weekend. Real quick, Pelosi is failing. Pelosi is failing because the number one reason, no one's saying this out loud, the number one reason Pelosi is failing is because Biden is fading. Joe Biden's numbers are so bad that what he wants, Build Back Better, his agenda, it's not interesting to people in the U.S. Congress who have to try to survive their reelection. I was recently reading a book on the Speaker of the House, and they tried to make an argument about how the Speaker's leadership relies on a couple of factors. One is reelection to office. Uh, another is uh, major issue uh, uh, issue. Um, interest, you know, of the person. And the third one is uh, re-election within the caucus. So the idea is that the speaker cares about his or her re-election to the office. You know, Speaker Foley lost his job once it happened. Uh, the other one is big priorities. What's your big issue? Obamacare or something. The third one is how do you stay happy with your caucus, stay happy with you? Here's a secret. Right now, members of the Congress, they're not the speaker. Even if I don't know if that's true, that leadership idea. Hey, they care about re-election. And Biden's numbers are tanking. And therefore, Pelosi can't say, help us help Biden, because everybody's running for the hills. That's the secret no one will tell you. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director. And thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Have a great, great weekend. We'll be back next week. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>